0: Well, again, a welcome to all of you, and those of you who are visiting, a special welcome. Good to see you out. Uh, in case you're unfamiliar with the drill around here, we are we start in a passage and we work through it verse by verse, phrase by phrase. And the goal of it is not that you understand my sermon points and that and all of that, but that when you come to the passage, you go, oh. I heard that. I I know what that passage means. That's what my goal is, so that you are good friends with everything, for example, in the book of Luke. So let's turn there to Luke chapter 17 as we continue our march through the book of Luke. March 17. Luke. March. March 17, that'd be... St. Patrick's Day. Luke 17, that's a different thing. Verse 20. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming, with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for Behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And he said to the disciples, The day will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, Look there, look here. Do not go away and do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky... So will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we are not just enabled, we are commanded to come and assemble together and um be considering one another, being observant and uh, insightful with regard to one another uh, of how we can provoke or stimulate individuals to love and to good works. So, Lord, thank you for assembling us once again as as the body of Christ, as the family of God. And, and Lord, we, we gather around that which is precious to us, which is your word. Thank you, Lord, for your word, its absolute consistency. Thank you, Lord, that it is a majestic book that will require um, us to dive in and search and dive in and study. And, And yet, when we do that, we have the enabling of your Holy Spirit, and it will yield wonderful results. So, Lord, we thank you again for your word Um, By your Holy Spirit this morning, we would pray that you would be teaching us your word. Incline our hearts toward it. Give us a teachable spirit and a teachable heart. And through the end of it, Lord, that we would not just gain information that we can write down on a card someplace, but that we would be changed people because of it. For your glory and our joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the next little bit, uh, as we go through verse by verse, we're going to be talking a little bit about the kingdom of God. And wow, is there a lot of things written about the kingdom of God. Just think about it. The kingdom of God is like a sower who went to sow seed. The kingdom of God is like a woman who hid some yeast in. uh, Actually, the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman hid into uh, flower, the Kingdom of God is like, and, and there 's so many things that are written about the kingdom of God, and because of that, just because of the sheer data and the the volume of the data, there has been some differing opinions on it and and there 's been places where people are going i just I, I just i, I don 't know if I understand and that 's a beautiful thing because here 's what God does is. He 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 makes some things in the Word of God that will only yield themselves to dedicated, diligent study, and so we want to do that. We want to be good students of the Word of God, and so that's what we're going to be embarking on. and And it isn't that uh, oh here's Pastor Howard speaking about end times again. And uh, does he only have three strings on his harp? Uh, no, we're 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 doing it because it comes up and. And because the Lord spoke a lot about this, and, and we see the ratio of that as we go through the book of Luke, we see the approximate ratio of how often he spoke of and the depth that he spoke on it as we see, um, as we go through the, the passages in, in the book of Luke. So, last week we began to study what were apparently, what seem at first blush, to be apparent contradictions connected within the huge subject of the kingdom of God. And for those of you who are going, no, I think everything's pretty straightforward. I, you know, I, I've got my mind made up. Let me point out to you a few things that are a little bit you, you're going to need to navigate when you're thinking about and talking about the kingdom of God. Number one. Well, actually, I'll give you all of them. Signs are the discernible. Geography and timing. Those are the things that really define, and those are the watershed issues in figuring out what the kingdom of God is. Signs, um, what's discernible and what isn't. Geography, where is this going to happen? And timing. All of that matters in the kingdom of God. Let me... And and here are some things where there's a bit of head scratch. Legitimate head scratch. First one, signs. Luke chapter 17 verse 20. He said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs. Oh. Okay, so that's one thing we know right off. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, if somebody starts out and says, okay, well, what is the sign of his coming? You go, whoa, 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 I got a verse there are no signs. Period. Shut the door. We're done. We're done there. Okay. There are no signs to be observed. And then we go. But wait a minute. Um. Hang on there. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter twenty-one. Luke chapter twenty-one, verse twenty, for example. How come I can't find it? There we go. Um, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolate... That sounds like you're looking for a sign. Yeah. Well, let's go down to verse 25. There will be signs in sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth, dismay among nations, in perplexity all the roaring of the waves, uh, sea and the waves, men fainting and so forth. That when, verse 28, you see these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws nigh. Oh, there are going to be signs. So, there aren't going to be signs, and there are going to be signs. Hmm. Uh, let's talk about, are they discernible? Well, back in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Okay so there's nothing that you will there's nothing visual about this there's nothing like you can be able to see something and 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 say from an empirical point of view here's the kingdom of god coming are there is there anything that is observable no nothing nothing observable and yet we have verse 20 we we have verse 24 for just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be... That looks sounds like it's a bit observable. And, and it seems like it's observable in connection with a thing coming. When the Messiah comes, it is going to be so blatantly obvious, like the lightning shining through, where everybody goes, Oh, that was lightning. Nobody's going and going... Maybe that was a lightning bug. Or maybe maybe you have a luminescent dial on your watch and that No, it, it was lightning everybody figures that out. It is going to be absolutely conspicuous. And so he says almost within three sentences. Nothing to be observed. Oh, here's one thing you can see. You're going, "How do you How do you deal with that?" Oh, well, let's keep on going. Geography geography. Is there a geographic element to the kingdom of God? Yeah. He says verse 21 Nor will they say, look here it is or there it is. Here, there. Demonstrative pronouns. And here it is demonstrative pronouns re- that are particularly in the realm of geography. It's over here, or it's over there. There are people going to be going around saying, oh, kingdom of God, it's right here. Kingdom of God, it's right there. And he's saying, it is not going to be, whatever it is, it's not going to be that. It's not going to have a geographic base. And yet, John chapter 18, actually, supplementary to that, John chapter 18, verse 33 therefore Pilate entered into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him are you the king of the Jews that's sort of kingdom talk right there Jesus answered are you saying this of your own initiative or did others tell you about me Pilate answered I am not a Jew am I your own nation and your chief priests delivered you to me what have you done? Jesus answered, "My kingdom, okay. We radar up. We need to receivers up. My kingdom is not of this world. Okay. So whatever else we need to think about the kingdom, it is not of this world. Everyone in agreement on that? We just read a scripture. Say, everyone in agreement on that? And I ask for a show of hand. Nobody puts it. It's almost like you think I'm that there's a trap here someplace. He, he says very clear." My kingdom is not of this world. Well, why don't we just kind of camp on that verse and say, shut the door, we're done. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's not on earth. I mean, that's I mean, could he be more clear? It's not on earth. So he says If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting. So that would be so that would not be. Handed over to the Jews, but as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. go oh and the word realm there relates back to world uh, so I'm not developing a kingdom on any place geographic and that's pretty clear, right? All right keep, keeps on going. therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king, so is this a kingdom issue? my kingdom what are you talking about? so are you a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king. Well, he is a king. For this I have been born, and for this I come to the world to testify the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate says to him, the ultimate politician, what is truth? And for most politicians, it is whatever is expedient. But anyway, that's as far as they take it. But if you took those verses... And you just sort of camped on those. You'd say, so is the kingdom, has it got anything to do with something on earth? And you'd go, well, obviously, manifestly, no. Okay. And so then what do we do with anybody who says, uh, the Lord is going to come back on the earth and you know, Look at the verse. Look at what it says. Right? What are we going to do with that? And yet, and yet, if you were in Sunday school, we looked at Isaiah chapter 2. Since... We're not in Sunday school, and some of you didn't have the benefit of that. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. As we said, there are so many passages in the Word of God that talk about something, and there's a geographic connection. The Word of the Lord, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and as we said, In the New Testament, when you use those terms in the 7th century, to hearers who are in the century, that particular time frame, what is the inevitable uh, consequence of using those phrases to those people? What are they going to understand? For example, um, let's let's use an example that would maybe differentiate a little bit what I'm trying to say. Uh, wonderful story. I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but wonderful story that there were some kids in Sunday school at the time of Christmas. And there was a little, they did a little thing on, uh, I think it was right after Christmas, I don't know, anyway, uh, where where they talked about where Mary and Joseph were warned by the angel and uh, they had to flee into Egypt. You all know the story, right? And so this Sunday school teacher was teaching these young, little kids and talking to them about the need for Mary and Joseph and the flight into Egypt. And so she said, Now, when we're done here, everybody draw a picture. And you guys know all the, okay? And so there's Mary and Joseph and there's the airline and there's the airline window and they're all kind of in with their their trays in the upright and locked position and their seats in the upright position and they're on their flight over to Egypt because it's the flight to Egypt. And you go, because that's what the terms mean today. Is it right? Can we just say, well, flight into Egypt, well, that's what it means today, so that's Probably. So we can just we can just import that meaning into that passage. Maybe, maybe Mary and Joseph really did fly in some Boeing concoction of some sort into Egypt. No. You say you have to understand the words in their context. And the one of the contexts is how they were that word was universally understood when it was spoken. Okay. So, the word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. What would be the immediate, inevitable consequence of reading those two things? Again, would they be thinking of some place in Addis Ababa? No, that has a, a very static, stable meaning. Now, it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains will be raised above the hills all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. This is sounding like this is, the, the kingdom has something to do with geography. It does. It does. In fact, it's talking about uh, nations and nation groups, because here they are, all the nations, verse 2, the Goyim, the Gentiles, Gentile nations, will come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. There's only one of those and, and that has ever been allowed, and that is Mount Zion, that Jerusalem is nestled all about. To the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion. That's sounding like a geographic fixation of where this place is. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem... And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And so if you were at this point in time saying, where is the kingdom of God? Every one of these Gentile people would say, oh, the kingdom of God and the king? You need to go over there. In fact, all of the peoples are saying that. You go to a geographic location. It's Israel. You go to a geographical location. Specifically, it's Jerusalem. And yet he said... It isn't on earth. Um, Let's take one more. Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3. Verse 16 The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth tremble. But the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. So Jerusalem will be holy and strangers will pass through it no more. That sounds geographic to me. It sounds like there is a place where you would be able to find the epicenter of the kingdom. And in that day, the mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with milk. And all the brooks of Judah will flow with water in the spring will go out from the, earth, the house of the Lord to the waters of the valley of Shittim. Egypt will become a waste and Edom will become a desolate wilderness because of the violence done to the sons of Israel in whose land they have shed innocent blood. But Judah will be established forever and Jerusalem for all generations. It sounded pretty geographic. Pretty geographic. Let's turn to Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah chapter 8. Oh, I'm going to wait for that. We'll come back to that in a minute. But now you found where it is. But we're going to go on. So, geography. Some places say that there is geography. Some places say that there is no geography. Kingdom of God. What are we going to do? Timing. Timing. Luke chapter... 19 let's turn there for a minute Luke chapter 19 verse 11 while they were listening to these things Jesus went on to tell them a parable well there was a purpose to the parable why are you telling a parable Jesus here's the answer because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately they were under the misapprehension that the kingdom of God was about to appear. And so he tells them a parable, which we're going to study in detail in time, about the fact that, no, it's not, it's, there's going to be some lengthy period of time before the kingdom comes. Um, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. It's going to be a little bit like Baptist air conditioning in here. We're going to be turning to a lot of pages Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, okay, so that is the inauguration of the kingdom. When he comes in his glory and all the angels with him, so he's going to come, and and that's the start of it, when he comes with all of his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Is he sitting on that throne right now? Is he ruling over like this at this? No, because he hasn't come back with all of his angels and sat on the throne of his father David. It's then that he will sit on his glorious throne. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And let's pick up the passage in, oh, verse 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And you do one other thing. One of the things that is uh, absolutely demonstrates that there was a genuine conversion here. God has started to work among you is... Here's the other thing that you're doing. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. What was true about these people? Well, they had embraced teaching. and This is is interesting because how long was Paul here in Thessalonica? Very short time. Might have been less than a month. You go, boy, um, he he did teaching with these people who were in idolatry. And he's, he's doing very basic teaching. And over and over again, he can make reference to, do you remember when I was there and I taught you about this? Do you remember how we went over this? You mean Jesus taught about prophecy and end times? When he was only there for a little... I mean... If he's only there for a little bit of time, you you teach the important stuff, right? You wouldn't go into eschatology, which most people just kind of relegate to. Well, that's kind of optional, you know, whatever. No, he he taught about it, and you go, well, with all of the things that you need to teach a group of people who come at it brand new, don't have any background on it, why would you teach about the kingdom of God and and the sequencing of things? Answer, it's a 30-year book. It's a 30-year book. And so if these people are going to start in and start reading the book, they're going to need to know and they have some parameters. So he says to them, you're waiting for the king to come back. You're waiting for the king to come back uh, for his son from heaven. He's in heaven now. Whom... um, who he will, who whom he raised from the dead that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come in other words he's in heaven he's coming back and he's going to rescue us huh okay second timothy second timothy here he's giving a charge paul is giving a charge to timothy and by extension he's giving a charge to every preacher boy who comes after them. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. So he's listing all the things that are absolute verities, that are absolute things that that will make this a very, very sober charge. Okay, I command you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom... By the way, just we'll get to this as we come by, but frequently, like in most places in theology, they will talk about events as a whole, the coming of Christ. And, and through that, it, it will talk about a whole bunch of different events. Here, he begins to make a distinction. There is a time distinction between his appearing and his coming in a kingdom, which we're going to get to. Okay, But you need to understand, it's all part of the big package of the coming of the Lord. But there is an appearing, and there's a coming kingdom. And he says, here's what you guys are waiting for, his appearing. Okay, Here's what you're waiting for, Timothy, his appearing in his kingdom. He says, on the basis of all of that, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, and so forth. So, it looks like there is timing. There's a timing issue. And yet... Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 27. If I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. And then he says... But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, did he do that? Uh Uh-huh. If I do that, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So, were there going to be signs or no signs? Well, if you look at all the verses, both. So, was there signs that were going to be discernible, visible? Well, looks like both. Looks like both. So is is it is it going to have a geographic element to it? Well, some verses say yes, some verses say no. Or, more to the point, you'd say both are said. Timing, are. Were the people at that point in time, just as they were, were they in the kingdom? Are we in the kingdom? Or are we looking for a kingdom to come? And you go, as much as this seems like a terrible muddle, seems like both. Seems like both. So, how are we going to... See, you might be thinking, preacher, you really did it. What you did was you used all the verses and now you've created a terrible muddle. You took some water that I thought was actually pretty clear. I I thought I had all the answers here. There was a nice, neat system in my little noggin and then you came along with a big old stir stick and you just muddied the water and now I just don't know what to believe. Okay, And I just look at that and go, oh good. I I feel like I've I've done a good job here. I've I've done it. Um, Because you could see as we went through Signs are the discernible. Geography, timing. It, it says both. So what do we do? How do we do this? Well, one way to do is, is to pick one and camp on it and then just sort of sell the other at a discount. Or somehow try and explain that one away. Here's what I would say right off the beginning. Have it in your theology, in your approach to the Bible, you are friends with every verse you have a way as you're going through and understanding it, or better yet, as you're explaining it, that you explain every verse in its context, not explain it away. Be friends with every passage. So, in all of these things, where it says both, what's true? Answer, both and. Both and. The coming of the kingdom includes... Here's how you understand it. Two phases on two separate occasions. And the only reason you can have two of these, both of these things that seem contradictory, be true about the kingdom is that there's two separate occasions. There's, there's two separate things that they're talking about at the same time. So the kingdom includes two separate phases on two separate occasions. And that is because the coming of the Messiah that was so extensively spoken about um, and referred to as one who is coming, the Messiah is coming, the coming of the Messiah, the anointed king, it came in two phases. It was unanticipated in the text of the Old Testament. It was a mystery And, and... God says, deliberately so. I deliberately kept it as something mystery so that you'd only sort it all out when you got to the New Testament. You only sort it out that way. Okay, deliberately kept as a mystery. In the second coming of Christ, if you just use those passages, okay, I'm going to give you a a short synopsis, all of which we could go into tremendous detail, and it would be my delight to do so. But for now... In the second coming of Christ, the kingdom is forcefully and violently established by the king coming as a warrior ruling by force and conquest. That's the kingdom. No one will be in any doubt because the coming will be as visibly conspicuous and obvious as a full horizon lightning flash. The kingdom has very carefully stated geographic components in his second coming. And it will be patently obvious. We as believers and the entire animal and plant orders, according to Romans, long for his appearing, his second coming with power and great glory. In fact, we're instructed to, how should we pray? Well, pray in this way, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. He wants us to be eagerly anticipating and praying for the coming of the kingdom continually. We as believers, the entire animal and plant orders, long for his appearing, his second coming with power and great glory. He starts this phase of his kingdom reigning by starting in a geographic location. Zechariah talks about that. How where does this begin? Where does he reign the rain begin? He puts his foot on a place where he his disciples would meet uh, centuries, millennia before the Mount of Olives. When he comes back, he comes back to that very place on the Mount of Olives, and the whole mountain is split as he does so. That's made very, very clear it split in two faithful old testament believers knew this and longed for this in the second coming so you understand a little bit why they would be thinking as old testament believers i don't know if this could be the messiah the last time i saw him and his disciples go up to the mountain of olives there weren't no big earthquake and the messiah is supposed to do that what what in the world because again they didn't understand His coming was going to be involved in two different phases. In the first coming, he would come to Bethlehem as a baby, born. Quick question Was that in the Word? Was that in the book? Could they have read the book and understood that? And yet they're going, but the first time he puts his feet down, it's on the Mount of Olives. And they're going, I don't know, I don't know what to do with that. So this one I'll allegorize and this one I'll take. And, and we're going to find out what we need to do is both and because there's two separate occasions. He came the first time in Bethlehem as a baby. Did Old Testament saints know that there was going to be at least 2,000 years between the two phases of his coming? No. Even prophets like John the Baptist did not sort that out even before he died. He sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah or should we expect some other person? Well, Why would John the Baptist of all people ask such a thing? Because there's a whole bunch of things that he knew of, rightly so, that the Messiah wasn't doing. And he needed to do them in order to qualify as a Messiah. Jesus answered on that occasion very, very succinctly and very, very wisely. He said, here's some things you should see. People are being healed. Demons are being cast out and so forth. And You go, why? Because those were things that the Messiah was supposed to be doing. So self-evidently, it is the Messiah. It's just the timing that John the Baptist hadn't got. So are you the Messiah or should we expect some other person that 's in Luke chapter seven. Answer not a different person. his miracles and kingdom, kingly power over the natural order, and even the demonic realm made that clear, but he did not come to earth on the Mount of olives' his first part of con- point of contact. He was not violently and with finality demolishing, dismantling, and replacing the Roman Empire as a mighty warrior, which they could have, should have expected. Not a different person. It's a different coming. It's a different coming. So, back in our passage in Luke, chapter 17. they Nor will they say, look... Here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. As we said last week, the kingdom was right there among them on the land he would one day rule with unmatched, unassailable power and authority over. He had started a process of calling fallen sinners, who were all, everyone, formal former rebels, calling them to repent and defect to the side and the rule of the rightful God the Father anointed king and so in that regard the first phase of the kingdom had begun they were coming it was a slow trickle at first but the king was there in their midst calling loyal subjects to himself and his followers would continue that for at least 2,000 years Well, that's the first little part of our passage. There it says, having been questioned by the Pharisees, he answered them, verse 20. Now, change, verse 22. And he said to his disciples. So Jesus turns from the mocking, disbelieving, disobedient Pharisees to his disciples. And he says... To the, disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. What? What does this have to do with timing of the kingdom at all? What does that have to do with anything of the price of tea in Addis Ababa? What's What's that got to do with anything? Well, a lot. Follow the reasoning. First of all, he says, there's going to come a time when you will long. The days will come, meaning... The days here is talking about the, the way this is used in the Greek grammar. Days here is used like the sense of days of his life, the days of the judges, the days of the sojourn in the wilderness, an, experience, an extended period of time that starts and concludes. The days are coming. The days will come. So we're not in them right now, but that is something that's coming. Days are going to come at some point future from their discussion that afternoon. And here's what's going to happen. You will look for a day of the Son of Man, which is the stock phrase Daniel used of the Messiah, and you will not see it. You will long, you will earnestly desire for something you do not have, and you will not see it, is the point. That's something coming. The king was here now, but not for long Oh, how could it be that the king was here now but not for long verse 25 but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation and the idea of the uh, rejection is a very very big long complicated word Having been visually inspected firsthand, this generation, the society group as a whole, with a few individual exceptions, would declare a verdict of non-genuine, rejected, turned down, and cast off. This generation is going to have a close look at the Son of Man and go, no, no, kaput with the stamp, rejected. That was what, and cast off, and the term is frequently used of, kill them, kill them. So the first question is: Is this something that was anticipated in Scripture? Could righteous, devout, biblically literate Old Testament believers have understood that from the Old Testament? And you go, yeah. Yeah, they could have. We read together Psalm 22. And they're going, man, that was talking about the Messiah. The Messiah was going to be tortured. The Messiah was going to be put up in public full view and tortured and killed. Psalm 22. Isaiah chapter 53. The whole thing reads 700 years before the event like a blow-by-blow current commentary on what was happening on the Mount Golgotha and the crucifixion of Jesus. Could could and should they have expected that? Absolutely. It was in the Old Testament. Okay? Um, so, I completely lost my... Oh, so here's the deal. As Isaiah chapter 53 says... If he is the Messiah, he must suffer. If, according to the Old Testament, he is the Messiah, he must suffer and be put to death by his generation if all of the scriptures are going to be fulfilled. If he had not, Jesus would no longer have qualified as the Messiah. And we see that as a point of logic In the sermon, for example, of Stephen, not this one over here, his namesake, the first Stephen that we know of in Scripture, the Messiah, he says, the whole point of his sermon is the Messiah had to come and suffer and die. That was required of the Messiah. Acts 26, let's turn there for a moment just to see how this was the regular um, fair of Paul's reasoning in sermons. He used this evangelistically. Psalm, or Acts chapter 26. This is the sermon to Festus. Verse 22. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great. This is one of the things, this is standard of his preaching stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. And here's the deal. Here is the normal thing he's discussing. That the Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Where did you get that from? Overwhelmingly from the word of God. Overwhelmingly. Um, Let's go to Psalm chapter 16 Psalm chapter 16 First <clears throat> 10 for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. And this is words of the Messiah. These are words of a person, and they are yet words of Yahweh. And this would have been perplexing for them to be singing about them in their hymnal all the time because it's talking about Yahweh, and then it says, God will not abandon my soul to the grave. And you're going, whoa, 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 what? You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you have a MacArthur Study Bible, turn one page back and you will see messianic uh, prophecies in the Psalms. Look through them, starting in Psalm 2 all the way to Psalm 118. These are all things that are talking about What is going to happen to the Messiah? All of these things needed to happen. And if they didn't happen to Jesus, he would not have been the Messiah. But take it, underline it, the Messiah must suffer. But was the Messiah going to be universally received and embraced? Absolutely. Yes, he was. Zechariah chapter 12, which we read before, um, talked about that. So, which is it? Was he going to be rejected, or was he going to be accepted? Both end, both end. What do you do when you see apparent contradictory prophecies? Go with one and allegorize the other, which is what many had done in their day, or interpret it somehow non-literally, which is what many others had done in that day. Or do you say both hand? Well, here we have the words of Jesus. Turn if you would to Luke chapter twenty-four. Luke chapter twenty-four. Talked about this in Sunday school. Here were the expectation of the of the of these people on the way to Emmaus, and they're going, man, we expected he was going to bring in the kingdom and not looking like it's happening. What do we do with this? And Jesus tells us, and you know something, this is great medicine for our day too. Because here he says, and he said to them, verse 25, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He's going, where was the deficiency? What was was your problem? How could it be that you were good students of the word of God and you missed this? You were slow to believe everything written. You go, but but it's perfectly understandable because it's saying two different things. It's saying two things that are contradictory. And he goes, yes. And so then you don't say, well, this is true and this isn't. You say, both are true. And the only way you could come up with that is saying, he's going to have to come twice. He's going to have to come twice. But here, to these people who didn't understand that, the first part of him suffering, verse 26, was it not necessary, was it not absolutely imperative for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into glory? In other words, to suffer those things and go back to heaven. And go back to heaven. No, but you're supposed to establish the king. No, he's he's supposed to go back to heaven for a bit. And actually we're going to look at a parable where he explains all of that. He's going to go back to heaven for a good long while. And then he's going to come back and bring in the kingdom. So beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and the scriptures. So what do we do with all of these things that are talking about the kingdom of God? This is so easy. Really? Believe all of it. Believe all of it. As Matthew chapter 5 verse 18 says, it's way easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for even one of the smallest wee bits of Hebrew grammar to pass away before all things are fulfilled. If it's written, if it's put down, it's going to happen. Believe all of it. Believe all of it. Okay. Let's go to our, back to our passage. He said, Men, you've ranged a long way out of your passage. Yes, we did. Let's come back to our passage. He says, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Okay? So there's coming a day where the Son of Man is going to be gone. And they should have seen that. They should have known that from the Old Testament Scriptures. Verse 23, they will say to you, look there, look here, don't go after them, do not run after them. Who's the they that are going to say? Well, the closest antecedent, grammatically, is the unbelieving faith and religion leaders. Unbelieving faith and religion leaders are going to be saying. "Okay," And it's in the voice of the imperative, they're, they're commanding this or that. Look here, look there, again demonstrative of pronouns of geography. And he says to them when they do that, don't go. And and again he this is a big complicated word that you don't see in English. Don't go away and follow his party is the idea. Don't follow his leadership. Do not run after them or pursue them for their instruction. You know what? You mean there are people going around and saying the Messiah is here, the Messiah is there. Oh yeah. And, and, like, is that happening today? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There are people going, there, there are about, I think, I read there are about five or six people who are going around and saying, I am the Messiah. Jim Jones, way back when, he said, if the scriptures are true, then I am the Messiah. Okay? So there are people going around and claiming that. fact there's a big organization uh, without naming names the Jehovah's Witness for example the Jehovah's Witness um, insist as a point of essential doctrine this is one of the things you have to believe in their system that Christ came back invisibly and unobserved in 1914 if you don't believe that you're not allowed to be a Jehovah's Witness but they believed that Christ came back. It was just it was invisible and it was undetected. And he came back to someplace in the good old good old America. Okay? And so he did, he did come back. And so Jesus said, What do you do with that? Well, don't follow their leadership, don't go after them. Don't do the Bible study. Don't do it. Because you can tell they've already outed themselves as being haywire. Okay? So for just like the lightning when it flashes out of one part of the sky shines to the other part of the sky so will it be in when uh, so will the son of man be in his day out of one part and shines to the other total visible sky upper atmosphere saturation and engulfment it it is everywhere Very conspicuous. Everywhere visible by everyone obvious and incontrovertible. That is what the coming of the Son of Man is going to be. Acts chapter 1. Let's look at a few more. Just so that we are thinking correctly. Verse 9. After these things, after he had said these things, while well, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So this is the ascension of the Lord. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, by the way, that ascension into the sky, was that figurative or spiritual, or was it sort of like ish, or was it, Actually, he was there in physical. Well, actually, he was there in physical. He was lifted up to heaven. As they were gazing, he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come back in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven his going into heaven will be completely, accurately mirrored by him coming back, which is physically, visibly, and literally. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly righteous and godly in this present age. What else are we supposed to be doing? Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Visibly, we are supposed to be scanning. We are supposed to be Visually scanning, looking for something that is going to be the appearing in his glory. Something that is going to be very, very visible. In fact, turn if you would to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Here he's quoting all the way back to the book of Daniel. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And watch this. So this is something yet future. He's coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it, will, it is to be amen. This is something that was written at about 95 to 98 AD. This is the, toward the end of the life of the Apostle John. So this is after the fall of Jerusalem. This is after all of those things they're still anticipating the Lord is going to be coming back and every eye will see him. Or, as Jesus said back here in in Luke chapter 17, it's going to be as as obvious as a lightning flash in a dark sky. It's going to be absolutely, um, amazingly obvious. So, when Jesus came back, When he came back, um, when he came, pardon me, when he came the first time, he did not come like he was going to come the second time. He will not come a second time as a human baby and add to himself a human body. He's already done that already and he will go through eternity in a glorified physical body. He will not come again to Bethlehem. He did the first time. He's not coming again to the Bethlehem. He will come to the Mount of Olives, stand in between his people and his city and the assembled armies of the world intent on the present goals of Hamas and Hezbollah and pure Islam to finally wipe out Israel and all Jewish people forever. That's when he does come back. He will not peacefully invite voluntary submission when he comes. He will crush opposition with violence, and there will be a massive death toll. His second coming will be preceded by distinct, comprehensible, recognizable signs. In his second coming, Jesus will not submit and object and subject himself to the rejection being turned down and cast off by his own people. Matter of fact, he will convert them after two-thirds of them have been purged the king will not submit himself to the power and judicial whims of the Roman Empire on his second coming. He will crush and grind that empire to wind-blown powder that will leave, leave no remnant. Jesus must reign on the earth in Jerusalem over his people, who the prophets also say will be born His own people have to be, at that time, living to the age of old trees, having children without infant mortality or sickness, having an abundance of food, having peace from surrounding Gentiles who are also living extraordinarily long lives. And yet some all over the place are yet dying as judgment not to due to disease or killed by wild poisonous animals. The point is, he must reign on the earth or he's not really the Messiah. Back in the day, in the first century, Jesus would um, rebuke them and say, how slow you guys are to believe everything that was written about the Lord. What we need to do is guard ourselves against doing the opposite side, the opposite swing of the pendulum. We have to embrace everything that was said about the Messiah, including him coming to the earth personally, visibly, and reigning on the earth over earth-bound people. So, we he must reign on the earth or he's not really the Messiah because heaven and earth can pass away but what is written and stands written cannot fail to happen. And then we get to Luke chapter 17, verse 25. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by his generation. But first... But before any of that can happen, of necessity, he has to suffer and be rejected. But before the second coming, after the second, the suffering and rejection, he says, we believers, those rebels, rescues and transformed, will long to see him because he's gone for quite a period of time. We'll be looking for the days of the Son of Man and we won't see it. Every believer who lives during this phase will spend their days longing for visibly seeing um, seeing visibly and physically present the Son of Man. That is the hope of the church. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we pray for. Meanwhile, during this phase, there is no discernible geographic location location center point of a visible kingdom outpost. The kingdom grows, for example, like a tiny seed, like a mustard seed, into an unexpectedly large plant, the kingdom of heaven is like. Meanwhile, even though ultimate political power is not being entrusted to them, the kingdom of heaven is like a tiny bit of leaven hidden into 50 pounds, 50 pounds of bread dough. And yet it goes through the whole thing, thereby having an unexpectedly powerful influence on the rebel culture. Like salt, like yeast, like light. That's how we're supposed to be interacting with our culture. By leading people to Christ and being Christians, which has a leavening effect on the whole culture. Meanwhile, the rebels of the king, um, the, the rebels that the king has chosen out to be his slaves by illumination, regeneration, and conversion, come into His phase one kingdom. Meanwhile, the kingdom of heaven is like a sower who sowed seeds on various soils. It takes time to reveal who's really in the kingdom and who is not. Meanwhile, the kingdom of heaven is like a field that is sown with good seed, but the enemy sow tares. Not everyone who looks like they're in the kingdom is in the kingdom. Meanwhile, the kingdom of God is like a man who sells everything he has, gives up everything he would have regarded as his own that has value to acquire something he's just discerned as of surpassing value. That's what's going on in the kingdom now. And meanwhile, those who have entered into the kingdom, this stage of the kingdom, are persecuted by an unruly, unconverted society and culture. And some are killed by the ruling rebels of the rightful king during this phase of the kingdom. Meanwhile, in phase one, they long for phase two. They long for the appearing of the Son of Man coming. They eagerly look for it. They watch for it. They love the soon appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ as we conclude to Romans chapter 8. Here's a great sense of perspective. If you're a believer and you're going, I'm a believer, but not everything is going rosy. I'm a believer, but it doesn't feel like we're in the earth's golden age. I'm a believer and I believe that the Lord is king over all, and yet not everything's going right. There's stuff going wrong. Verse 18, I for consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? Why is even the natural order of creation longing for the son, the, the manifestation of the sons of God, where the sons of God are going to be to become um, with finality, with, with glorified bodies? Why are they waiting for that? Because that's going to be the restoration, even of the ecology. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it. But it was done in hope. In hope that the creation itself also will be set free from a slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And you go, like that's the very phrase that Jesus talks about of the coming of his kingdom, that there's like... Of childbirth coming on. Exactly. Well, it's going on in even the natural order of creation. And not only this, but also we ourselves. Here's the sentiment of believers having the first fruits of the Spirit. We've got the first portion of it. We haven't got all of that we're going to get, but we've got the first portion of it. We ourselves grown within ourselves. Waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, for the adoption to become final, where it takes us home. The redemption of our body, when we get our resurrection body. For in hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is he already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, with with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. We're in the kingdom. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he's talking about the church age. And we wait for the kingdom. Phase two of the kingdom, where he comes back and rules personally. So we're in the kingdom, inviting people into the kingdom of God. And we're eagerly anticipating phase two. When the king comes back to his place, to his mountain, to his city, and he begins to rule, absolutely, he himself, physically there, visible to everyone. We long for that day, like believers in all ages. Do you, by the way? Um, how do you feel about it if all of a sudden, the one who is the Jesus Christ, not the one that the media presents, but the Jesus Christ who is the final judge, who knows all of your thoughts, all of your deeds, all of your sins, he knows you finally and completely, how would you feel about him being, boom, right there, immediately present? There's only one way you would stand in a moment like that. And that is, if that one who's standing before you has also become your sin bearer. The only way you would be able to stand in such a day is, is if he took your sins and paid for them with finality and he transferred to you his own legal standing of perfection. That's the only way you would stand before the God. And so if you're here today and you have not done that, you have not asked Jesus to be your sin bearer, you have not asked that he would pay for your sins and that he would give you the righteousness of God that you receive by faith. If you have not done that, the coming of the Lord is the worst news you can think of. Because if you stand if the things transpire in your life that you're standing before the Lord and he has not paid for your sins and you you are you have died in your sins, the outcome of that is horrifying. The outcome of that is the worst possible news. Um, But today, you can change that. And that's the good news of the gospel. Today, if you're alive, and your tinker box is working, and you've heard the word, you'll say, do you know something? I need to repent of my sins. I need to repent of my idea that I'm going to run my own life. And I need to say... you know something? The only way I'm going to ever make it with God is if you save me. You pay for my sins. You give me a righteousness that I don't deserve. And then I can stand before you. So some of you here today possibly are under great peril. And the coming of the Lord is the worst possible news. But you can change that. As a minister of the gospel, I invite you to do that. Do that today. For the rest of us, the coming of the Lord in great power and great glory, man, that's good news. Isn't that good news? Because all, all the stuff that goes wrong is going to be made right. Because Jesus is there personally, and, and he's saying, now for this phase, I'm in charge. I'm on the throne. And with believers of all ages, we say, even so, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father. Thank you for the great hope. As you said in this passage, if we're believers, we long for the days of the Son of Man where you are visibly right there on earth. We long for those days. Um, We do. But we also do so with hope, knowing you are going to come back. And that if you are the Messiah, you must return and reign on the earth. And we long for those days. Lord, in the meantime, help us to be about the business of being salt and light and leaven. And influencing our community around us. And help us, Lord, to be evangelizing and encouraging and inviting people to lay down arms of their rebellion. And to bow the knee the rightful king and enter into the kingdom of heaven. For we ask these sings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll call on our music crew.